the, this morning, I have to believe that was a sweet, sweet sound. Y'all saying good today. It's good. Good to have a lot of y'all back. Uh, see a few folks I haven't seen in a while. Very thankful. Some of y'all wait till we opened it back up. Well, we opened it back up, didn't we? It was weird. People were going, hey, it's kind of crowded in here today. You know, we usually were just wandering all over and trying to remember where your seat was before COVID, right? Like, well, was it third or fifth? What was that? But we're just glad you're here and thankful for those who are joining us online as well. Uh, we're glad you're with us. Um, uh, hope a lot of y'all were here last uh, Sunday night. We had a big event called our FS2, which is Fun and Serve on the fifth Sunday. And uh, we were uh, did a service project, and we had food trucks out here. We had a great jazz band here, and we were able to pack over 10,000 meals uh, in an hour and a half. Y'all did that, and we were able to do that. So we're very grateful for that. We're going to continue to do those fifth Sunday events where we're serving and having fun in the, in the community. So those of you who came, it was great. Those of you going, what was that about? You know, hopefully you'll hear about it. It was great. It was a lot of fun. So we hope to con- continue this. All right, I'm going to ask a question, but nobody... I'm going to say nobody above the age of 20 can answer this question, okay? So we got anybody below 20 in here? I know I see them. All right. Raise your hand if you're below 20 if you know what today is. It's called D-Day. Do you all know what that is? Okay, thank you. We got at least one hand there. All right. Thank you very much. All right. All right. Thank you, Ala. All right. It's D-Day. So um, I'll tell you the story about this. Some of y'all may know this, but this this little boy standing there. Well, he's 11 years old. This happened back in 2014. And this young man and his dad went to Normandy, France to celebrate the 70th anniversary of D-Day on June the 6th, 1944. And uh, he actually went, and his uniform is a replica of paratroopers from that era. And uh, he actually had done a lot of research. This was something he wanted to do himself. And he actually had done a lot of uh, research. And he had gone to the American Cemetery there uh, in Normandy and uh, had, had researched three paratroopers that were buried there and was standing in the cemetery. And anybody that would listen, he would tell them the story about the lives of these th- three paratroopers that had lost their lives um, on D-Day. And... Uh, you know, he recognized um, how important this was, and he wanted other people to understand what a significant day this was. He understood um, that, uh, you know, there was an invasion on that day that we were a part of as the United States. The Allied forces said, we got to stop what's going on in Western Europe. We've got an evil dictator and the Holocaust going on. Something's got to be done. And he recognized that was a big event in his life and in the life of a lot of people. So on D-Day, he was in, tried to go to the cemetery, and the police would not let him go in. I don't really know why that day, but he was not allowed to go in and keep doing what he had doing a few days before. So him and his dad went to Omaha Beach, and this young man stood at just like that flag waving in the breeze with his salute for an hour and a half. And he told his dad he just wanted to... He felt like he could see those soldiers coming on to the beach. And he did that for an hour and a half. And people would come down the beach and go, what is this kid doing? And they were like, is he real? You know, and they were taking pictures. A lot of veterans came and stood across from him and saluted him as well. So this young man... 
took a, a major event in history that was very significant, and it connected with him in a way that was very powerful that he said everybody should remember this. Now, he's 18 years old now, and uh, I kind of think this guy will be a, a, a pretty good citizen. What do you think? You know, um, having under, understood what that was. And he didn't want to forget. He wanted to remember, and he also wanted others to remember this is significant. Don't forget this event. People gave their lives so that we could have these freedoms. They had to make a decision in a point in time in life and history where something's got to be done and people came together and, and stopped something that was very evil. So as I watch it, y'all can go to YouTube and find out more about it. I don't know what he's doing right now, but I bet it's something pretty significant. And as I watched that video, I, I kind of got a knot in my throat thinking exactly what that 11-year-old was doing and why he was doing it. And we need to remember significant events in history, don't we? It's important because if we don't remember those significant events in history, we are destined to repeat the bad parts, aren't we? And that's why those things are important. And I want to kind of shift gears a little bit and ask y'all a question. Can you remember a time in your life uh, reading or hearing something in the Bible, whether that was a significant verse or, or passage, or story, or narrative from the Bible, that just all of a sudden, maybe you had heard it before, um, or read it before, but all of a sudden it just kind of leapt off the page of you and went, wow, I get it. I never really have gotten it before, but somehow I get it. That just all of a sudden, whatever was going on in your life, uh, you know, maybe it was, uh, um, you know, a, a, a season in your life where something was going on, and all of a sudden that scripture made just, just came off the page, and all of a sudden it came to life for you. It was a defining moment. It was a truth moment for you. God's Word brought some needed clarity to you in a situation where you found yourself right there at that moment. Anybody ever had that? Probably so. You don't have to yell out loud. Last week we had a young man who yelled out loud. I loved it. Y'all remember that? He yelled out loud in the middle and goes, Yeah, I know that. <laughs> And it was funny, I was talking to his mom afterwards, and she says, yeah, you're, when the preacher asks a question, you're just supposed to answer in your head. He's like, oh. It's like, no, nah, man, I need some amens every now and then, you know, that'd be good. But anyway, but you don't forget those moments or that text, do you? You remember that text, you memorize that text or that scripture or that story when you tell it about the Bible or when it connected with you in your life, people get to hear that. Well, let me tell you my favorite verse or, or let me tell you about that passage. Let me tell you about that Bible story. It really means a lot to me because, and you share it with somebody and they get to hear why it's important to you and they can't not help but react to that. Go, wow, that means a lot to Craig, that means a lot to Joe, that means a lot to Sue, whatever. And people hear your story, they have to think about it, and then it may cause them to be inspired and want to look that up and, and maybe look at some other passages, and all of a sudden they may have an interest in the Bible because you connected them with that. But sometimes in life it's not necessarily a Bible text or story that connects us to God. Sometimes it's an event, isn't it? Something happens and we go, mm, I don't know how or why that happened, but God had to be in that event or in that. You ever had somebody tell you a story like that? You go, yeah, that was God. I don't got any other explanation for that. And I hear the amens because y'all know it happens. Those are real things, and you can't explain it away. But God was doing something, and that event can point us back to God, whether we were away from Him or never knew Him, or even point us to His Word where we start reading and we go, 
yeah, that's how God operates in ways we don't always understand. Well, we've been going through the last few weeks the writing of Nehemiah. This is a book, if you will. I call it the writing of Nehemiah uh, from the Old Testament. And if you haven't been there here, that's okay. Hopefully you've been here or maybe watched us online or whatever. But this is a great story about an amazing leader who in a lot of ways was like that little 11-year-old boy. He was struck by the fact that he had a history. There were things in his past that were very significant. He was Jewish, and he knew at the time when he was raised in Babylon, away from Jerusalem, that that's not where he was from. He was from Jerusalem. He was Jewish. He was an Israelite. He was set apart to be uh, one of God's people who said, we are to reflect to the rest of the world who God is and what a relationship with him is supposed to be. But they had forsaken God over and over again. They go, yeah, we're God's people, but we got this made. And finally, God said, you know what? I'm, I'm done. Y'all want to continue to worship other gods? Go right ahead, but I'm out for a while. And he allowed them to be taken over by Babylon. And Babylonians came in and absolutely destroyed the beautiful city of Jerusalem and the temple. And he, they carted off a lot of the Israelites all the way back to Babylon. And they were in exile for 70 years. And then there had been a, a, a return of some of them. But in, for about 100 years, the Jerusalem walls had lay in ruins. And God had formed this vision in Nehemiah to go back and do something about his heritage. He had heard from a little boy, that's, we're really not from Babylon. We, we got exiled here. Well, why? Well, because we forsake God. And so all of a sudden, he's hearing all these stories. He was cupbearer to the king, and he went before the king, as a lot of y'all know, and says, I want to return to my home country, I want to, to city, and I want to rebuild the walls. And he goes, what do you need? And he gives him resources, and he gives him uh, you know, rites of passage to go through these different places, letters of passage, and he gives him resources. And so Nehemiah comes back to Jerusalem to, to say, hey, let's remember our history. Let's start to rebuild not only these walls, but who we are as a people. And so he did that. And along, along the way, there were roadblocks. But this was not just a... Um, physical reconstruction of walls in Jerusalem. It was a spiritual reconstruction of the hearts of the people that God was doing through this whole rebuilding process. And along the way, we looked at the roadblocks. There were internal problems where during this time, while they're rebuilding the walls, there was a famine and food was short. There was a shortage on food. And some of the people internally that were, uh, you know, Jewish brothers and sisters were, uh, you know, charging people interest and, and uh, making them loans. And they were losing their homes. They were losing their fields, uh, their vineyards. And in some cases, they were even uh, having to sell their kids into slavery. And they were charging exorbitant interest rates. And Nehemiah finds out and goes, hey, what, whoa, whoa, what's going on? We're, we're not doing that. We, we don't treat our brothers and sisters like that when there's a difficult time. That's part of the law of Moses, and we're Israelites, and we're God's people. We don't treat each other like that. And the reason we found out that they listened to him, he says, I want you to give all the interest back, I want you to give all the land back, and I want you to stop doing that. And they said, okay, we will. And you're like, how did that happen? And we learned last week it's because Nehemiah had something called moral authority. Moral authority is when you're convictions in your life, the values in your life line up consistently with how you behave and how you act in everyday life. Those are consistent. And Nehemiah was giving people and loaning people money, but with no interest, and he was giving things away, and he was helping people, and they knew that, and they says, how are we going to argue with this guy? He acts like a governor that we've never had before. The governors before, it was all about them and what they could get out of it. He's completely different. He has moral authority. 
And they listened to him, and he led them in the direction God wanted them to go. So it's a great story as we read it. So that was one of the roadblocks, was an internal thing. But we also have read about there were external, um, external enemies that were criticizing the efforts. They go, oh, wait a minute, what are the Jews doing back? That's been broken down for 100 years, and all of a sudden they're coming together, and they're, they're, they're excited, and they're rebuilding the walls. we got to stop this. They're going to become a, a power again. And they didn't like it, so there were these roadblocks of... Uh, of criticizing, of, of making threats. We're going to come in and we're going to stop that. And you remember he says, no, you're going to have a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other, and you're going to defend what we're doing, what God's called us to do. And they did, and the enemies didn't come in. And then there was also, they were trying to lure, as we read about last week, Nehemiah away from the work and say, hey, come on down, let's play some golf, drink some coffee, just come hang out with us. And he's like, no, I'm not doing that because I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to kill me. You're trying to get me off track. And he said this over and over again. I'm carrying on a great project, and I can't come down, and I won't come down. And he didn't. He stayed on task. And Nehemiah had prayed and used godly wisdom to get through all those issues. And we read about last week that they finally rebuilt the walls after 100 years of being broken down. And how many days? 52. Thank you very much. Somebody's listening. It's awesome. You know? 52 days. Less... You know, a little over two months, and they had rebuilt these walls that had been in shambles for 52 days. And this accomplishment did not happen overnight. Obviously, it was 52 days, and it came. It was the coming together of a lot of people. But what's interesting, and what I want you all to see here, is there are some really cool supernatural miracles in the Old Testament in there. Do you all remember the, the Red Sea parting when Moses held up his staff and God parted the Red Sea? You know, the Israel, I mean, the Egyptians are coming, and we've got to get across the sea. And you remember, that was a supernatural thing. Everybody said... That's God. I mean, how does that happen supernaturally without the creator of the universe? And then I thought about uh, Joshua when they marched around um, uh, the walls of Jericho seven times and the walls supernaturally broke down. If you're, if you're here today and you're going, what is he talking about? He thinks I read the Bible or something. You need to read the Bible or something because it's awesome, really exciting stories. Am I right? It is exactly. It's exciting. So, but those were supernatural events when uh, Elijah was, uh, you know, at Mount Carmel, and um, they were trying to say who's the real God, and all these prophets of Baal came up and tried to get their God to bring down fire, and nothing happened. And in the middle of a drought of three years, you know, Elijah takes all this water and dumps it on the on the altar, and then God supernaturally sends fire down, and everybody's like, "There's no doubt that is the real God." But in this case, with the walls, there was nothing supernatural. But God's fingerprints are all over this, isn't it? God had a part of this. Their enemies knew. And and we read last week about what their enemies actually said about it. He says, when our enemies heard about this, Nehemiah's rightness, or maybe Ezra, all the surrounding nations were afraid and had lost their self-confidence because they realized that the work had been done with the help of our God. A lot of diverse people came together to do this, but they knew their God's helping them were in trouble. Because throughout history, when God helps the Israelites, nobody can stand against them because they're God's people. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're reflecting Him. So, that was chapter 6, and we're not going to read chapter 7 today. It's important. I'm not being a blasphemer and leaving out God's Word, but if you kind of flip through, if you've got your Bibles and you reach up, there's a whole bunch of names in there that I'm going to butcher terribly, and a lot of y'all will be asleep by the time I finish the lists. 
All right, so we're just going to skip chapter 7 and we're going to go into 8. But actually chapter 7 is very important because it's real names of real people that lived in those times. And they was probably about 50,000. This is kind of a, a list of people who he says, hey, we need to have a record of who has come back from the exile. And they had a record of it even in ancient times. And there were about 50,000 people. And again, those names are important. And I've got to read and butcher some names in chapter 8, so you'll get to laugh at me. But anyway, we're going to look at chapter 8. Now, keep in mind as we read this, the wall had been completed just six days before this new year that the Israelites celebrated. And in that new year, they were to celebrate what's called the Feast of Trumpets. This was from the Law of Moses. And, and the Feast of Trumpets was a great day. It was a, a day of resting from work for seven days and feasting. And it was acknowledging that God has given us all these things and, and we should be thankful to God for what he has given us. And we're going to like, with trumpets, we're going to announce and celebrate this. Now, last Monday we celebrated Memorial Day, right? And we just did one day of barbecue. Could you imagine seven days in a row of no work and barbecue? I'm for that. Let's do that, you know. Never turn that grill off. Let's just keep going. Let's keep cooking. You know, we'll have hamburgers one day, ribs, whatever. But this is the way they celebrated. It was important. We're acknowledging God. This is a celebratory time. So the people had been on this tough and crazy schedule for 52 days in order to rebuild the wall. They're probably exhausted. Many had gone back to their towns outside of Jerusalem after this project. And that's when we come to chapter 8. So listen to chapter 8. And I'm going to read a couple verses from 7. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns... Then all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women, all who were able to understand. He read it aloud, listen to this, from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood, here he goes, Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hekiah, and Masaiah. And on his left were Pediah, Mishael, Malkajot, um, don't be laughing at me, Hashum, Habashabadana, Zechariah and Meshalom. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. As he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, um, Shabbatiah, Hodiah, Masiah, Kalita, Azariah and Josabad, Hanan and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the teacher of the law and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
And the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, this is a holy day, do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink and send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Now, I know that was a lot, but this is significant. I want you all to notice a couple things. Nehemiah, who's been the governor and this incredible leader through in this whole project, did you notice he didn't call this assembly? It didn't say, Nehemiah called the people to assemble. It said the people what? They just assembled. Somebody like in that group, like an 11-year-old boy or, or whoever, a 90-year-old grandmother, whoever it was, is going, do y'all realize what God's done in 52 days while we left this, these, uh, these walls in shambles for 100 years? Do you realize what has happened here? This has got to be of God. God obviously sent Nehemiah to us as a, as a godly leader with moral authority, and we've gotten this done. God's doing something here. We need to celebrate. So they went and said, let's assemble and we think it was a lot of people that came into that, that Watergate thing. And then it says they went and got Ezra. They told Ezra, not Nehemiah, they did. Ezra, come out here. We know you're the priest. We've kind of blown you off for a while. But we know you're the spiritual leader. You have the, the book of the Torah or the Pentateuch, whatever you have. We're not sure exactly, but we think it was obviously the law of Moses. And we want you to read it because that's what's supposed to happen on the New Year when we uh, meet for the, this, this big festival. That's what's supposed to happen. How did they know that? Because it was a part of their history, but they had let it get away. Now, when was the... And, and as a result of this, what happened? As they started reading and they had Levites, who were people who helped, uh, kind of like ministers, help the people understand and the law, making it clear to them. Some were going, what does that mean? And they go, well, this is what happened and this is why. And they go, oh, okay, I understand what that means now. But as they're hearing it, there was a result of people lifting their hands, saying amen, amen, people falling on their face in worship, people weeping. When was the last time you saw anybody in church fall down when the preacher read the scripture and start weeping? Uh, no, that would be embarrassing. We don't do that in church. When was the last time that kind of caused rising? But for this group, a hundred years of this group just lived in their broken down city with broken down walls and said, that's just the way it is. God's mad at us. We've been exiled. Yeah, we got to come back, but I guess we're just going to be in this state for a long time. And God's going, no, you don't have to stay there. They were out of exile, but they were living as if they were still in exile. But in 52 days, they, like their enemies, had absolutely had seen and experienced the work that had been done with the help of their God. It was their God. This was a defining moment. They couldn't just go back to normal. They realized this. They knew about the law. They knew they hadn't kept it. They knew they had broken relationship with God. That's why they had been in exile. That's why Jerusalem had been destroyed. And they wanted and longed for that restoration with their God. And the restoration of the walls was a clear sign. God's moving. God's doing something. If he can do this, he's moving. And he's not just moving with the walls. God had given them a picture of the future that produced passion in them, right? And that passion goes, God's working. He's doing something. I don't think he's mad at us anymore. He's seeing us put forth an effort to make him first, and now he's starting to restore us. They saw that. They had been broken as a people, and God was saying, I'm rebuilding walls, but I'm rebuilding you and your hearts and our relationships. So they worshiped. People lifted their hands. They said, amen, amen. People fell on their face. They wept. Why? It was an emotional time. We've been out of sorts for a while, listening to the law that was given to their ancestors hundreds of years before and realizing that wasn't just my great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather and grandmother's law. That was our law. God gave that to us to reflect who he was. 
and to reflect a relationship, and we've blown it. So the more they heard, they go, yeah, I haven't been doing that. Man, I haven't been doing that. Yeah, and I've been doing that. Yeah, and I've been doing that. They're hearing the law, and they're going, man, we have totally blown it. And it made them weep. It made them weep. As they heard it, they were convicted. And you remember in the New Testament on the day of Pentecost when Peter, after Jesus' resurrection, is preaching on the day of Pentecost, and people are going, who is this fisherman that can preach like this? And he's telling about the story of Jesus, and he got to this part in Acts 2 where he says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And there was this, I think, a pause where it's like, We killed Jesus? And Peter's going, Yeah, you crucified Jesus. And when the people heard this, it says they were, some of y'all remember this, they were cut to the what? Heart. You ever been cut to the heart? Where something affects you where you know, man, God is speaking to me. I feel conviction. God put that in you for a reason. Conviction. It's not a bad thing. Not shame, not guilt. Conviction. There's a difference. And God puts that in us for a reason. And they were cut to the heart. And after that, they said to Peter and the other apostles, what must we do to be saved? And he says, repent all of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people came forward that day. It's an amazing thing. So this is like that. The people are, are broken. They're convicted and they're feeling God's sin. And they realize they had broken trust with God and he was offering them an alternative hope for the future. Not shame and guilt forever, but there's an alternative restoration where we're going to be back together. The rebuilt wall was symbolic of a greater restoration that God was doing in their hearts. And even though Nehemiah and the Levites told them not to mourn, it was hard for them not to. He goes, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And they're going, man, but I just... And I think they weren't just crying because they were convicted and felt bad they hadn't kept the law. I think they realized their failure did not define them. They were still God's people. Their destiny was not their sin. It didn't have the last word. God was offering forgiveness and grace and enabling them to stop running away from Him and start running towards Him. And y'all, that is relevant for us today because some of us are in our sin and our shame and we are running away from God and God's going, why are you running from me? I sent Jesus to die on that cross so that you would come back. I want to restore you in your life and your heart. Grace shouts freedom. It's victory. And that's why I said the joy of the Lord, that's, the joy of the Lord should be in your heart. You should experience that. And it was hard for them not to weep more. So I ask us, when was the last time we were cut to the heart about something? Or are we so numb to what's going on in our world and culture now that doesn't anybody, yeah, it's terrible. What are the Braves doing? Hey, that's terrible. You know, I don't see what else is on the news. Where are we going to eat tonight? When has a text or a scripture caused you to shout amen or fall on the ground and praise or convict us of our sins and literally make us weep in the presence of God? And you go, Craig. <laughs> yeah, they did that back then in the Middle East. They did that in Israel. They did that in the ancient times. Well, we, don't, we don't do that in church because mm, that would be embarrassing. That would be. But wait a minute. People do a lot of embarrassing things on TikTok. We don't seem to have a problem with that. We can do all kinds of things that seem crazy and weird and out there, and that's okay. But, oh, we don't get too excited about our Christianity. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty. I just I feel a sense of, why don't we get more excited? Now, I heard a little glimpse of it this morning when we were saying when Kendall was booming out, 
that name Jesus. Did y'all feel that? You know what? We feel it, don't we? We know it's there. We can feel that. God gave us a heart and emotions to experience that. And he wants us to feel that about him. Not about some of this nonsense in the world. Not that there's not a lot of great things that he's created. But I, I wonder sometimes how we can get excited about those things, but not. I mean, I'm, I'm guilty. I was at the Braves game, you know, Wednesday. Yeah, go Braves! You know, that kind of, and they lost. Didn't help, but anyway. <laughs> but when has Scripture caused you to do that? Maybe we need to read it. Maybe that's part of our problem. This is where Israel was before their exile. Do y'all realize this? They were prideful, arrogant, self-assured. God will never let any calamity come on us because we're God's people. Yeah, we've kind of gotten out. But you know what they had done? They, had, they were going to worship. Yeah, let's kill the cow. Yeah, I'm sorry for my sins here. Kill that goat. Yeah, kill that cow. I feel really bad about that. All right, let's go back and let's do whatever we were doing. And God's going, man, you guys. And now you're worshiping to other gods. And you, you've completely lost our relationship. And that's when God says, I'm out. I'm out for a while. You need to sit in your consequences. I want us to think about COVID-19 for a minute. Was that a wake-up call from God? Remember, mom said you don't answer out loud when the preacher says a question. <laughs> Just kidding. I think it was. I don't know why or how exactly. Did we cry out to God for relief from that? I did. I know y'all did. And God has given us relief, hasn't he? He's given us vaccinations, help. But does God just want us to be restored in our physical health? The answer is no, exactly. He wants us to be restored in our spiritual health. And there's some people, don't be mad at me because I'm talking to some of y'all, but you're going, hey, man, I like sitting in my pajamas with my cup of coffee watching church. That's cool. I like that. And you've gotten comfortable doing it. But guess what? Y'all raise your hand if there's a seat next to you. We got a lot of seats for y'all, and you know what? We want you to come back, and I know it's on your time, and it's on your deal, but we want them back, don't we? We want to see your face. We want to hug you, shake your hand again, whatever. We really do. So don't let that fear keep you from coming back. And we told people, don't be afraid. Come back. Come back to church. Come back to the restaurant. Come back to school. Come back to work. But folks are still living in fear, and I think Nehemiah's words are appropriate here. The joy of the Lord is our what? Strength. The joy of the Lord, not shame and guilt, but grace, forgiveness. Yeah, he knows we have shame and guilt. He knows all the stuff we've done, and he goes, I love you anyway. I died so we can put that behind us and move forward in our relationship. And that's what God wants for us. I think Nehemiah's words are appropriate again. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Don't continue in exile when you have a gift to be free, a freedom that's come from our God. I was going to read the last five verses, but I'm not. But basically, they started another um, uh, uh, festival right after this called the, the, the Festival of, uh, or the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. And it was almost like they were camping out in their yard. And this was supposed to remind them of all the way back in Israel when they wandered in the desert for 40 years. They were kind of camping out and go, this is how we used to live like this. We don't need to ever forget that. God gave us this land he gave us this land because we were his people and we abused it and we need to remember it. So they were going back. And it said they did not celebrate like this since the days of Joshua. Now, some of y'all might go, I don't know who Joshua is. Well, way back after Moses, Joshua took over. And this is all the way at the end of Nehemiah. There's been hundreds of years. And they said they still celebrated it, but it was very flippant celebration. It was like, uh, yeah, I'll go by to that Memorial Day event, but I'm just going to stay for like, you know, a couple minutes, eat a hot dog. And go, yeah, thanks, y'all. See you later. Bye. 
Could you imagine somebody stopping into your cookout like that? That's kind of how they were doing their festivals. And now it was something that they said, no, this is from God. We need to celebrate that. And they went out and they started building these little huts in their yard to, to celebrate this. And they continued to celebrate that. They knew about it. They knew about the law. They knew about who God had called them to be, but they had allowed their culture to slowly erode. And this is what's happening. I know I said this last week, and y'all think I'm an old, grumpy old man or whatever. But the culture is slowly, and the, the, the neighbors and the enemies of Israel, they were slowly eroding those uh, convictions and values of Israel to the point that they started changing their behavior and actions to something they were never intended to be. And some of us are doing the same thing. There's some things going on in our culture that God never intended to happen. But we've allowed our culture and our values to be changed by a culture that says yes to things that are absolutely not of God. And we need to stand up and recognize those things. And I'm not saying go out on the street and protest. But your actions and your values should line up together and show the world whose you are. Whose you are. So what are we allowing to replace worship and service to God? Where do we maybe need to rediscover and reestablish some practices in our lives that will allow us to experience the kind of joy that God wants us to have? It starts with reconstructing our vision. And I'm so glad you're here today because we need to hear God's Word. I'm reading God's Word to y'all. This is not my Word. This is God's Word. And it's reminding us that we need to hear His Word on a consistent basis so that our vision can constantly be constructed the way it is because the world's trying to reconstruct our vision. Every stinking ad I have pop up on my computer this week told me about something I should be celebrating that I'm going, that should not be celebrated. That should not be celebrated. I'm not hating those people. I'm not going to protest against those people. But I ain't celebrating that because that is not what God has intended for those people. And they are being deceived. They are being deceived. So we need to know, not allowing the culture of people to distract us from what God has called us to be. And we only know that by reading and knowing God's Word. So get into the Word. We need to do that. 